0: Episode 163, Jeff Zygmunt, founder and CEO of Skill
1: Builder. There was that trust factor there. You know, when you're someone who's basically like a brother to you, you, you trust to a degree that you wouldn't under normal circumstances.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is My Favorite Mistake. For more information about Jeff and his business, look for links in the show notes in your podcast app, or you can go to markbraven.com slash mistake 163. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Jeff Zygman. He was introduced to me by Rena friedman Watts, who was a guest in episode 65. I encourage people to go um, check out her episode. Uh, but Jeff describes himself as the business engineer. Working in software and technology. He's been a tech entrepreneur for 10 years. He's led and built uh, more than 25 software projects from idea to going live, including multi million dollar enterprise software. Uh, He's got an engineering background, he's been a business analyst, and he has worked eight years as a chief technology officer. Uh, But Jeff is married uh, with two kids in uh, Quebec. And during COVID, he created uh, another software platform that incorporates learning principles that he's gained um, from 20 years of martial arts practice. So I think it'll be interesting to explore that later. A remote learning system that is uh, more effective than in person training. And um, I'm looking forward to exploring that. His website is skillbuilder.academy. So with that, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. How
1: are you? you? Good, good. Thanks for having me
0: real excited to uh, to have you here, and you know, before we talk about your business, I mean, I think training um, is an underappreciated um, skill and discipline um, that's that's important to businesses and healthcare organizations, and doing that well means so much. So we'll we'll come back to that in a bit. But I'm curious, from the different things you've been involved in in your career, Jeff, what would you say is your favorite mistake? A lot,
1: a lot of mistakes, but uh, in terms of uh, favorite. You want me to go uh, say directly what it is, or a bit of a backstory also for context?
0: Uh, you can you can
1: give the backstory, sure. Okay, so uh, so I've been doing martial arts for a long time, It's been about twenty years, and um, I don't know if you've ever done any martial arts, but when you okay, so when you uh, something about people um, sweating and bleeding together and fighting together, it it actually brings people close together creates like a sort of a brotherhood if you will um so one of the individuals that i uh, had trained with for a long time we he needed help for essentially building a um a software company probably was in property management um so we got involved in that and uh we there was that trust factor there you know when you're someone who's basically like a brother to you 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 trust to a degree that you wouldn't under normal circumstances. So, um, we, we got started and we established, for example, what the equity distribution would be and the pay that I would get it, uh, along with that, and so on. And essentially, I ended up working about a year and a half without a contract based on trust. And uh, I wanted to make sure that before I got married, the contract was properly in place and I kept telling him about it and telling it about it. And then about a week before getting married, I told him I'm getting married on Sunday. I need this because I was going to uh, tell uh, my, my wife would probably freak out if there was no contract in place there. And the Friday right before it, he brings me and our other partner into um, into an office with his lawyer. He shows the contract and We were just excited to finally get a contract in place because we hadn't had one for a year and a half. And so we signed. And then come a few years later, turns out that there's a lot of lopsidedness to that contract, which had a lot of restrictions, a lot of problems in it, uh, a lot of restrictions in terms of what I can do and limitations and everything. And in the end, we separated. It caused a lot of problems at that time, like a, a real, real nightmare for about six months. Um, uh, uh, this is when I had a baby and my wife, and so we were freaking out. It, it, was, it was it was a major issue. And eventually got things sorted out. And I separated from that relationship I- entirely. And I'd say that I never thought of it as my favorite mistake before it was the, uh, just a very big, big horrible situation. But looking back at it when you asked me my favorite mistake is if I if that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't have I wouldn't have separated from that relationship. I wouldn't have gone off on my own. And the positive things that have come after from separating from that kind of negativity never would have happened.
0: Wow. So um, yeah Jeff thank you for for sharing that. And I think you know there's there's a lot to explore within that story. Um, Was was part was was it a mistake to have that sort of that trust based relationship based on something that wasn't in the business realm? Do
1: you think? Or um, I think that the the big the big mistake, which I think everyone can and should learn from here, is doesn't matter what your relationship is with someone. Just sign a contract at the beginning before you do any work before you work on anything. Make sure things are clear in black and white, um, it helps avoid a lot of problems down the line. And uh, even if you trust each other completely, and even if there, you have a reason to do it, people don't have the best memories. And at the very least, you want everything in black and white, clearly defined at the beginning, so that there's there's no, oh, I can't remember what, I can't remember, was it this, or was it that? Uh, for, for me, I... My word is actually is better than a contract. Like even re, re, like even if there's no contract, I'll keep to it under any circumstance. But I might not remember exactly precisely what I said six months ago. If it's in a contract, then or even written, then we will be able to see it and oh, okay, that's what I said. Okay, and then. But uh, very important to solidify contracts at the beginning before anything.
0: Yeah. So so other than the issues that became clear later about the contract. Was that working relationship with that person otherwise um, sort of a, a trustworthy working relationship in, in, in other ways? Did you see any red flags or it was, was it just the contract itself?
1: There were numerous, uh, there were numerous red flags, both in terms of uh, the relative contributions to actually building the business and in terms of how he dealt with others um it's kind of like a uh stab you in the back for a dollar kind of scenario thing very 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 difficult to um work with and comfortably negotiate thing when whenever there's any dollar or equity associated with with anything yeah so yeah
0: so it sounds like there's there's two elements to it one like you said don't go into a business relationship without a contract. And then it seems like there's a second point there of don't sign a lopsided contract. Or how, how did you discover that it was lopsided? I mean, was, was there a rush you described? You're getting ready to get married. Did you not go through
1: the contract in, in as much detail as you might have otherwise? I presented it the very first time in the office that day and i'm like okay i need to i need to have something signed now so it's like okay we sign it now or i don't have a contract for before getting married so um as far as the lopsided is concerned it had like it had a differentiation between not but between majority shareholders which is only him and minority shareholders and which was me and the other individual uh, or a third partner so there was a, there was a lot and there was a lot of lopsided like elements like that
0: yeah. I mean, is it, it's probably ideal in some sort of contract like that to, to go
1: to an attorney and have 100%. a third party review. Yeah. A hundred percent. People could definitely do that. Um, at, at the very least, look it over in detail uh, on your own, but definitely because not everyone can afford an attorney depending on circumstances and so on. But um 100% that should be done and if you can get an attorney to look look through it's uh you 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 really in some cases like this it can cost you a company that you invest 4 years of your life into into building.
0: Yeah. And and so that separation then it sounds like was not on the terms that you probably should have had based on your contribution.
1: Correct. That that would be yeah. a, a mild but accurate way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> okay. well,
0: I don't mean to downplay that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, there's some key points here of, again, have a contract, don't sign a lopsided one, and, and don't rush. Yeah. And it sounds like he, he – I wonder, you know, we, 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 we can never get inside someone else's mind with intent of was he, you know, kind of taking advantage of that rushed pressure situation or was that just the contract he was going to give either way?
1: I think – that he just had his law. He did, I don't even think he looked at it, actually, to be honest. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think he just had his lawyer who did, I think, a pretty sloppy job there, just put something together, mashed from other contracts, whatever. I don't even think he looked at it. I think he just trusted his lawyer to put whatever together. He probably said, I need a partnership contract. And his lawyer probably pulled together some stuff that was in his favor um, and not particularly beneficial for us.
0: Yeah. And so then as you've moved forward, I mean, you know, I appreciate you sharing the story and it seems like you've taken that reflection to heart um, serial entrepreneur is probably a good label for you. Do you, do you wear that badge?
1: Uh, I guess that would be an accurate way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I'd be
0: curious to hear then, you know, mo- moving forward, I'm sure you've taken steps then to avoid putting yourself in that same situation. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah. So about a year and a half, ago uh ran into a contact so uh, i've been a business analyst for uh for, for 10 years also and uh contact of mine real estate uh um, owner the largest provider of uh self-storage in quebec 7, is seven thousand units in his company and uh he was in I, I basically started off a job with him doing some analysis i saved like um uh, he, he he had spent about six months developing something with his developer, and then it was taking up tons of his time. He's a CEO, and uh, it was costing a lot of money. And I did a bit of analysis, found out that the last six months was a waste of time, and that that uh, the next year would have been a waste of time. So I helped cor- course correct him from there. We ended up getting into a contract there, and uh, that. Before signing that, I told him, like, let's, uh, he said, okay, should we get started? Like, listen, let's, let's just get the contract in place, and make sure everything is solid before we begin. He actually happens to be kind of the very opposite of the partner I had before where everything is very legit. So even though I, I took the uh, the right kind of approach this time, but he was very understanding, except he's, he's like, you shouldn't start at, It's good on you. You shouldn't start anything until a contract is properly in place, which is the right kind of response, the right kind of message that somebody should do in, in business, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a good lesson there for both parties in some sort of contract like that. If you're presenting the contract to somebody else or if you're on the receiving signing end of it.
1: Yeah, and you, I think you can also, um, you can also tell sort of the trustworthiness of another individual if the person says yes. You you should do this. You should do this because it's proper for you. You know that they're not. It, it's a it's a strong indicator that they're not necessarily trying to cheat you or to do anything wrong by you or anything like that. As opposed to someone who tries to get you to work without any contract in place. And then just you
0: know to co- maybe to close the loop on this a little bit. That that person that you have previously partnered with in the business, do you still run across him in martial arts circles? Is there awkwardness or do you get a chance to kick him or punch him?
1: There was a time, there was a long time where I I wanted to, if I ever, if I saw saw him again. Uh, But it turns out that he had had similar bad. uh, He had similarly done, not, not to the extreme with my situation, but similarly was not proper, let's say with other people as well. And um, I have not. He has not come to train pretty much since then. Yeah, I think because you burn your bridges with relationships, it uh, it bites you in the butt afterwards, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Well, Jeff, I, I'd love to to talk about what you're building now, what you have been building, um, Skillbuilder Academy. Um, yeah, you know, I always like to you know sort of try to frame things like this of. Talking first about the problem that you're solving, like on the front page of the website, you sort of introduced the idea that training thousands of employees, training a large organization effectively in its scale is so difficult. Why Why is that?
1: So <clears throat> people don't innately are not born knowing how to learn things. And you actually have to learn how to learn. I First, learned how to learn through my engineering degree, and then actually even more effectively, I would say, from martial arts. And once you learn how to learn things, you're able to pick up and absorb new skills, new information much, much, much faster. Um, If you've never learned how to learn, you can have the best instructor in the world with the best content in the world that they're trying to deliver you. But if you don't know how to learn, it's going to go in one ear, out the other, and your company can invest millions of dollars in whatever training that they're trying to produce. And most of it's going to go in the garbage. So what I did there is I tried. I took the principles of how to learn that I knew are needed and essential for human beings to pick up information. And I built a software platform to essentially take people through that learning process without them even knowing that they're going through it so that they're actually learning as they go. And um, the reason that it's so difficult of a problem is because I, I found that there's actually four separate components required for remote learning. Um, and each one of them on their own is difficult, and they all have to work in tandem together, I've found, or the whole thing breaks apart. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, and when you say, I think it's interesting, people are born not knowing how to learn things. I, I would suggest I want to hear your thoughts on this. There's a, a corollary to that that people are born are not born knowing how to train or teach others. And I've seen I've been exposed to methodologies that train people on how to be a good trainer. Like you can't just assume that somebody who knows how to do something knows how to teach others. Like I, I view those as distinct things. I'd, yep. I'd be curious, how do you view it from that side as being the teacher or the trainer?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. You need to, um, so I've been doing martial arts for 20 years. I've been teaching it for about 14 years and you, you need to, you, you definitely need to know how to train other people in order to, to that that's a separate skill on its own compared to the, whatever skill it is that you're trying to train people on, right? So you definitely need to, in order to, um, in in order to transmit something effectively to another person, you need proficiency in both the skill itself, as well as as the ability to transmit it in a way that they'll be able to receive it well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's an expression I've heard, and I think it goes back to Uh, World War II era, uh, this expression, it gets used in different ways. You know, it says, paraphrasing, Um, if the student hasn't learned, then the teacher didn't teach of this idea of putting the burden on the teacher to be effective instead of, you know, I see this in a lot of workplaces where people might say, well, the training wasn't effective and they'll almost just blame the students when maybe the structure and the design of the training was the problem.
1: So uh yeah, so I would there there are cases when the student is a problem. So for for example, um ego is a very big problem in people learning things. Cause so when you if you feel like you know everything and there you have no room and your cup is full essentially, and you and there's nothing more you can learn and there's no, no way you can improve, then you're not gonna be receptive to information. Um but then again you could even consider that. That just means that whoever's whoever's trying to transmit the information to you, they haven't sold you on the value to you of wanting to receive that information better. Um, but yes, I think that uh, it's definitely um, most of the burden I think, or the, the requirement is on the instructor, the teacher to, to transmit effectively.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about ego or, You know, somebody, and I think this happens a lot at executive levels, people are afraid to show the vulnerability that's involved in saying, I don't know something, I need to learn something, I could do something better. You know, I think back, I I get, you know, every month, um, the magazine from the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. And What's your engineering background? I I did
1: electrical, but I'd make a terrible electrical engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But... On the on this
0: magazine, and there was some story inside, and you know, on on the edge, the spine of the magazine, it'll show you know the title and the date, and there's a little little synopsis if you wanted to remember which episode was what, which, uh, which uh, issue was each. And I'll never forget uh, uh, the the headline on the side of this magazine said simply, "CEO listens, comma learns." Like, I hate to think that that would be so newsworthy.
1: you know the the reality is that ego is a so, so there's ego and then there's asking questions and i think that the majority of people are um afraid to ask questions a lot of the time partially for fear of looking stupid and uh, so sometimes and sometimes it's for ego. For me, I, I like I luckily don't have that problem A because of martial arts and B because I've been a business analyst for ten years. And everything about being a business analyst is asking a billion questions to try to learn all the ins and outs of how the software, for example, needs needs to function. And if you miss any details, then you're going to end up building the wrong software, and it's going to cost a lot of time and a lot of money. And that's actually the reality of almost every single software project. uh, What happens? Um, But uh, when I'm working with a developer, for example, I, I tell them, and this is a good tip for anyone who's doing anything. If you have to ask another question and I need to spend another five to 10 seconds answering it, that's much better than you not asking the question, making a whole bunch of assumptions, doing wrong things for the next days, weeks and costing a lot of money and potentially ending uh, us ending up in the wrong place. So for me, I'm I'm never afraid to ask stupid questions. I think it's, I think everyone should (laughs) ask more questions.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, assumptions can be really uh, deadly to a project or a business. If, if, if those assumptions come from, you know, some sense of, well, I I know the answer. Well, uh, I would ask what, what, I'd love to question, that comes up in different ways of like, well, what, you know, what assumptions are we making? What things must be true for our path forward to have a reasonable path to success and asking questions and having the humility to do so seems really
1: important. Uh, Yeah. I I think that people don't ask enough questions and when you don't ask enough questions, then you, you, you can't, you can't figure out what the end game goal is looks like if you don't ask enough questions to it's like it's like having a painting or whatever if or or it's like if you're trying to build a house for example and you don't ask enough questions about how many rooms does it have where how many bathrooms is it going to have how many floors where should this be positioned where should that be positioned if you don't ask enough questions you're going to build the wrong house if you build the wrong house it's a lot of time and money that go that that just went down the drain into doing the wrong thing that could have been sorted out by a little by asking a few more questions at the beginning
0: Yeah. And the cost of delays or the need for rework can be catastrophic, whether it's a house or software, right?
1: Massive. I had a, at the beginning of COVID, I got a job as a director of software development for a company that was uh, creating a warehouse management system. The owner had spent $30 million developing previous things. And a lot of it was because badly managed on the tech side, the whole, the the whole way through over and over again. It's it's so catastrophically expensive and time-consuming to do things wrong, especially in software.
0: So I want to ask you a little bit more, um, Jeff, you talked about martial arts and learning how to learn things. Can, can you kind of walk us through an example of how you would learn something new or how you would teach something new in, in that domain?
1: Specifically uh, martial arts? Or Yeah, or? yeah. Okay. I, th- I think it would be interesting to hear. Sure. So let's say you're being a stone a technique. So late last couple of months, I've been focusing more on jujitsu, grappling on the ground. So when learning a new technique, um, what what a lot of people will do is they'll see somebody else, let's say, demonstrate it and then they'll try it out once or just look at it and say, OK, that looks easy. And then, But when you try it out yourself, it's much harder. So <clears throat> what do you need to do? You need to um, you need to do it you need to repeat it repetition 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 which a lot of people struggle with at first especially if they're not used to it you need to um, clearly understand exactly what to do you need to understand what not to do especially the mistakes that people commonly make this is actually an essential part of skill builder uh when we're when i'm when i'm creating a training with any organization i would be working with the top performer in the organization to extract their expertise on how to do it successfully. Cause presumably they've done it successfully over and over and over and over again. So we would work together with them same as in martial arts. It's like, okay, you have someone showing a technique. Here are the steps to do. Try to understand it with them with pres- as much precision as you can. And then at, for each step of it, learning, okay, what not to do so that you know what to avoid and you can actually do it correctly as correctly as possible.
0: Yeah. I, mean, repetition, I, I, think, repetition. Yeah, I think, I mean, that repetition is key. So this, this pattern of you know, seeing it and then doing it, there's a very common expression in healthcare that I've been exposed to is particularly applies to nursing. Well, they'll talk about this process of see one, do one, teach one. And, and I think the flaw in that model is is the one. I hear you speaking to the repetition. Yeah. There's no guarantee to me that doing it once really sinks in the ability to come back and do it again later. You see, it
1: definitely so it definitely doesn't. Um, so you, you need it takes ten thousand times of repeating something to ma- to master something, um, and you do it once is definitely not enough. You have to do it many many times. Uh, with that same concept, I've actually built. So I've actually built that into Skill Builder, for example, by not just taking people through the step by step and the mistakes to avoid and so on. But then I have other phases of it where it actually gets them to sequentially put the right steps in the proper order. So they're constantly repeating it, and I gamify that to make it more enjoyable and fun. Um, um, but yeah, you you need mult different ways of getting that repetition going as many times as possible. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you refer to this as process-oriented learning. Tell, yeah. tell us a little more about that phrase.
1: So <clears throat> not everything you learn has a process to it. Some things are just a body of information. It could be a chunk of theory. It could be information to know about a particular topic. Um, a, a lot of things required for businesses to function correctly, for example, are processes. Our process. So, for example, the client that I that I mentioned before, um, the Montreal Mini Storage, the the storage provider. So, I created a sales training with them um, when working with their sales trainer, sales manager, as the like the key point person, the top performer kind of thing. And um, there, we I, I I mapped it out with them step by step how to get it right. And by putting it in that format, it will allow it to scale to all their employees. Did I answer, did I answer that question or were you asking something different?
0: Well, no, I, I was just curious, you know, kind of, you know, the origin of, of that phrase of, yeah, you know, is it that learning isn't just um, random bits of information, but there's sort of a sequence. Oh yeah. So-
1: sorry. So to
0: to introducing because I maybe combine that with another question of you know it seems like there's a difference between like knowledge and skills like having theory versus actually having the ability to do something.
1: Yeah. So you actually don't need to have any of the theory in order to do something. You just need to know what to do. And so with it with this with my this client, I mapped out their sales process into about eighteen sequential steps to do very granularly so that uh the sales manager he said i don't think there's i think someone in grade three can do this with the way we've uh, w- that we we've mapped it out here and it's really important in the learning process to know why they're doing the different things which again is another part of skill builder but you when like if you're doing martial arts for example. You don't need to know why when you're doing a straight punch, why your elbows down and your shoulders down and your hips are in the right position and you're hitting with the two knuckles and so on. You don't need to know why you just do it. And then many times afterwards, you understand, oh, that's why I'm doing it this way. Okay, Uh, The why is very important for people to conceptually understand why they're doing it or not doing it a certain way. But the theory is completely unimportant for actual execution, which is actually, incidentally, the reverse of how people normally teach things, which is why there's so much it takes so long to learn things. People usually teach all the theory first, and then it's up to the learner to try to dissect the information and figure out the steps to take. Whereas here, I approach it in the exact opposite way.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's really insightful. And, and that lines up with, um, you know, methodologies I've been taught about training, especially when it comes to skills, um, you know, demonstrating how it's done, the what, and maybe touching like here and there, touching on some key why points without getting into all of the theory. But I, I, I think it helps people internalize. I'm not just doing it this way because I was told to but I understand a little bit of, of the why it's important to do this step next or why it's important to do it a certain way without overloading people in theory.
1: So, yes, I, I think that the, you you, meant, you said the words because I was told to. So um, there's an approach. The I'm told to thing works when you trust the source of where it's coming from. If you don't necessarily know who it's coming from, or you're not sure if you should trust them, and I take, which is the approach that I take with Skill Builder, the default approach, which is when explaining the whys, I cover it from sort of a objective matter-of-fact perspective, not a, oh, because I say so. Uh, this, you should do it because this, because this is right. It's here is objectively the reason why and the ramifications that will come from doing it wrong. So that the person, when they're receiving that information, they are they can't say, oh, I don't agree with that. They can they just see, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I understand. Yeah.
0: Now, are, are the things that you do in your approach there at um, Skill Builder Academy, like confirming that the learning has really sunk in, confirming the ability to go and do that task, whether it's a sales process or anything else you're being trained on? How do, how do
1: you close the loop on that? So that's a difficult thing to do, but uh, so in, in, a, in a few different ways, one is as part of the sort of the, lear- the multi-phase learning process in the platform. It tests, I have certain things that like gamified that it tests their ability to, to for example, place the, the process in the right order where it, has, it attributes a score to it. So if they're getting anything less than perfect, then you know that they uh, had trouble with it uh, and so on. Um, but part of the process that I'm um, doing with every client is after we release a version, the let's say the first final version of a training is we test it out in the field, we test it on people, and then see how they actually perform. So if we release it to five salespeople, and then we we see, okay, it looks like it has solidified their understanding of the process. Let's see how they perform on actual calls and and so on, and then gauge from there, that allows us instantaneous results. So instead of like six to 12 months of a training process where they're trying to piece together what to do and what not to do on their own here, two to three hours overnight, they learn it in detail. And then immediately the next day, we can see results there.
0: Yeah. And I I love that the idea of going and testing, rather than again, like where where assumptions can really Yep. If we assume the training is good, well, we, we we need to go and test that, improve it or tweak it before yep. rolling it out.
1: I, I, okay, so actually that's, yeah, so that's actually part, so I actually do, before even coming to a, a version to roll out to people like that, I actually create a beta version that we release to multiple sets of employees to actually gather feedback, tweak it, perfect it, multiple iterations like that, to then produce a call it a semi-final version that we released to a number of people to actually test in the field. Yeah. So that sounds
0: like an application of what you've learned from software development and yep. entrepreneurship <laughs> yep. applied
1: to, to all of this. hundred percent. Everything, yeah. uh, everything uh, converges together in a very good way that has produced some pretty solid results.
0: Yeah. Um, one, one follow-up question on gamification, you talk about, you know, scores and everything. Are, are there, Elements of gamification that help make something more fun and enjoyable for the learner.
1: So yes, and I'm actually incorporating something that I think will be very interesting as part of the training here. So in that company that's the favorite mistake from before, so this property management. So you're talking rent collection, maintenance request management, all everything that someone would need for property management. There's a lot of softwares in the market like that. So we had to differentiate ourselves. So I came up with an idea of gamifying rent collection, making it fun to pay rent, which no one would ever think is a fun thing, right? But I designed the system I designed there, uh, we were able to achieve roughly 10% of people who were on their phones waiting for a countdown timer to turn 9 p.m. to pay their rent one to two days early. And that's, I was able to achieve about 10%. Um, yeah, turn turns out gamification is actually far more complicated with multiple dimensions than I thought I knew at that point. And I've for skill builder and the way I'm doing it here, I've made some adjustments, like uh for the fact that everyone can be rewarded as opposed to it being like a competition. Because if it's a competition, then the people who think that they're gonna lose are just not even gonna try. But if everyone knows that everyone can win and they're for sure gonna win if they fit if they finish it properly, then increases the likelihood that everyone's going to want to get through it for like a, if you're going to get a $25 gift card at uh, reward at Amazon, for example, just by getting through the training, it's a good motivator. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, Jeff, a lot of great insights from you, from your experiences and in, in, in your work. Um, final question about Skill Builder Academy. And again, the website skillbuilder.academy,
1: who, who primarily are your customers? What types of organizations? So I just, recently did sort of a pivot in the last two, one to two months. Um, so I have applied it to police training. I've applied it to mental health and addiction therapist training. I've applied it. To, I've created a active shooter preparation training that can scale to organizations of any size, thousands, tens of thousands of employees. I think it's actually the only one in the world that can actually provide effective training to, at that scale. Um, but what I'm focused on right right now is um, any organization that is, let's say, medium or large that um, that has any processes where they have lower medium performers that um, th- where in- turning them into good performers through the increase of their ter- their technique would amplify either the amount of money they can make or the efficiency of it, or the the efficiency of how their business is running so the answer to your question of who are my i've pivoted to that because i see a huge need in that domain and i have about 10 to 15 salespeople working with me actively uh finding uh contracts like that so i know that there's a huge need i just uh i've only worked with one so far where i did the sales training and i think there a lot more will come shortly
0: yeah, well, great. Well, it, it's it's important work that you're doing, and I certainly, you know, uh, w- wish you success with the business as uh, as you keep moving forward. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to Jeff Zygman for being our guest today. To learn more about Jeff and skillbuilder.academy. look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markraven.com/mistake163. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.